Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Up next on Inside the SCCA, redefining winning. Welcome to Inside the SCCA. Today's episode is a little different than our normal fare. I was fortunate to be asked to host three sessions at this year's SCCA convention, and I'm really happy to be able to share them with you. Enjoy the show. This is SCCA Connect 2022, the club's second virtual convention. This session, Redefining Winning, presented by the Inside the SCCA podcast. I'm Brian Belansky, the host of Inside the SCCA, and I'm really excited that I was asked to lend my thoughts to three panel discussions at this year's convention today. Joining me for this discussion, Hayward Wagner. He's the Senior Director of Rally, Solo, and Experiential Programs for SCCA. He works with the teams that with the teams that deploy Track Night in America, Time Trial Nationals Tour, National Solo Series, the staff that provides support for regional solo track events, time trials, rally, rally cross, and hill climbs. He's been around the club for decades, going up in an SCCA family, began competing national solo series while in college. He participated in the vast majority of the programs the club offers, and he's attended 27 runoffs, 21 solo nationals, and all four time trial champions, uh, time trial nationals. Then there's Randy Popst, one of those guys whose name is synonymous with the SCCA. His list of accolades is long and could take up most of the session, but here's the highlights. Two-time solo national champion, solo one national champion, pro solo national champion, two-time runoffs champion, and three times silver medal winner in six appearances. Apparently, he underachieved in that sixth appearance and didn't didn't hit the podium. As a pro racer, he won three SCCA World World Challenge titles. He's a two-time Daytona 24-hour winner, North American Touring Car Champion. He's won 70 pro races. Somewhere along the line, he found time to write a column for Sports Car Magazine for 10 years. He's been on the uh, runoffs broadcast team. And, oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Fame SCCA member. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, Brian. Glad to be here. Good, 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 good. I'm glad that uh, we've all got a chance to sit down and have this discussion today talking about something that I think is very interesting and thoughtful, and especially with the world that we're living in at the moment, and uh, redefining winning. I think it has a different, this could have a different connotation or conjure up different images for different people. Uh, Hayward, what's your thoughts on this idea? Let's get us started on on redefining winning. Well, I was just listening to uh, the list of Randy's accolades and how many times you said the word championship and (laughs) champion. And, and, you know, Randy to me is, uh, if you rewind maybe 10, 15 years, Randy is kind of the poster child for the SCCA brand as we've known it, that that we are a championship crowning organization, that uh, the, the essence of SCCA is going to these championship events and fighting at the front of the field. And that's, that's really what we as an organization most value and care about. And I think that 
over the last call it 10 years, uh, Randy and the club have both had a little bit of a transition. And with the club, we've brought in track night in America where we have 10,000 plus people a year that participate in a program where we don't even have scoring, never mind trophies and championships and whatnot. Uh, and we have more and more members being vocal in the club about just wanting to have fun and, and enjoying themselves with cars. I think those members have always been there. We just haven't um, maybe amplified their stories as much. And it's been fun to watch Randy kind of uh, at, as a, a social media follower, watch Randy kind of transition from, <clears throat> you know, maybe uh, it, one of the fiercest fighters in, in our club's history when it comes to wanting to win, trying to win, being at the front uh, to somebody who's coming to track night events now and doing some endurance racing and, and writing columns with real controversial stories. Like maybe it's, maybe it's a good idea to give a little bit of room on a racetrack. And, and uh, so I'm really excited to have Randy here to talk. You know, I'm happy to talk about the club's evolution a bit from, uh, from really a one dimension championship crowning organization to having more dimensions, more ways to enjoy the club. Um, but I'm also excited to hear Randy talk about his transition um, as he's maybe matured a little bit over the years, um, but uh, kind of grown into a role as, as really an ambassador of all kinds of ways to participate in the sport. You know, it's funny when you brought this topic to me, I thought to myself, you know, for every Randy Popes in the SCCA, there's 25 Brian Belanskis who have <clears throat> muddled in 15th place at races racing with my buddies in 14th, 15th, and 16th. And at the end of the day, cracking open a cold one and having a great time doing it. So uh, I, I think this is a very perfect mix of, 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 of talent. And in my case, lack thereof for this discussion. Um, Randy, talk, talk a little bit about briefly, you know, your evolution, you know, obviously your, your accolades are there, but uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a club in its essence and the idea of a club, I guess, should be having fun. And did, did you have as much fun winning as you're having now, just going out and having fun? Well, I've been doing a lot of events lately where I, the object is being there. And I always want to win, but I like the feel of driving as fast as I can which is what led me to the Sports Car Club of America. And I don't just like it. <laughs> I mean, I'm addicted to that feeling. And so are a lot of the people that I've met over the years because after 35 years, I still see a lot of the same faces, both at the pro racing level and at the club racing level. And um, I mean, Tom Patton comes to mind. He's racing a Sunbeam Tiger. I think he's still racing it. Right. He, he was at the runoffs this year. The Tiger Tom. Been 35 years at least. Cause I, I remember him in that car. They're so identifiable. And my, my passion uh, is something I was born with. I just discovered it in driving cars and I loved going around corners. <laughs> my mother used to say when I was a teenager, Randy, Driving is boring. Driving is boring. <laughs> she was trying to save me. Right. <laughs> and, uh, fortunately, the cars I was driving in the 70s only had 70 horsepower. And so in some ways, things like the Sports Car Club of America have become even more important because cars are so fast. 
we need a place to safely and legally enjoy them. And one of the trends, it's not a new trend, but it, it's more recent is, is uh, group street drives mm-hmm. and, you know, canyon runs. Um, these things make me nervous <laughs> because people are, are, are rallies. Uh, people are driving super fast on public highways. It's a bad idea. Like the uh, cannonball runs, the coast to coast record times. People are like, hey, Randy, you're going to give that a shot. And I'm going, no way. 150 miles an hour on public roads. Just trying to set a time. Are you crazy? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm amazed that nobody's been killed. And if they have been, we just haven't heard about it. But but, uh, that kind of stuff's ridiculous. And the Sports Car Club of America gives a place for normal people to take their fantastic cars and either just drive them fast, which is what's so great about track night in America, introduction to SCCA, and that opportunity to drive your street car fast in a safe environment, even get some coaching and uh, at a really low price. It's a great deal and it's easy to do. And uh, it, that's a wonderful creation. But when I was Zooming around the corners at 18, 19 years old, I stumbled on an autocross. And in an autocross, for me, it was an incredible difference to be on the clock, to be timed, and to be let loose in an environment where the whole object was to go as fast as you could go and very low to no danger, just pylons. But I was serious about the pylons from my very first <laughs> run because I wanted a good time. Right. And for, the autocross was a local one in the Melbourne, Florida area, some, some called the Indian River Sports Car Club, a local club. But I wanted to test myself at higher levels of competition. And that's what led me to the SCCA. I joined at the time they weren't putting on autocrosses in my neighborhood and they, we, <laughs> and so I joined to go to the solo nationals and just found a whole world of competition and uh, stuck with it all these years. And the next ev- of evolution for me was when I was invited by the editors of Sports Car Magazine to write a column. And I don't like deadlines. <laughs> I, I didn't like the idea of having to come up with something every 30 days. And yet I had been recently uh, in an on-track incident that shook me to the core and still does when I think about it. Somebody, it felt like they tried to kill me. They absolutely crashed me. Uh, but I got good car control and they didn't spin me. <laughs> and I'm proud of that. <laughs> but this incident was so aggressive and uh, angry and um, warlike that I wanted to write about it. And I wanted to talk to my SCCA friends about what happened there and about the differences between sport and war. (laughs) And then I called it intimidator or terrorist. 
<laughs> that is my number one favorite column. It was about the second or third one I wrote. And it was about sport where you're having fun versus terrorism. And I actually referenced 9-11 mm. and the idea that you threaten or cause real harm to control other people. And that's how I felt in this incident I was involved in. Sure. And so I've been highly motivated throughout my whole writing career, something for which I'm very grateful to the SCCA to do what I can to reduce crashing and improve um, the level of sportsmanship right. in what is a sport. You know, you said something earlier with you, you showed your watch and, and going up against the clock and how you were very motivated to go and do that. Um, and and I find that interesting because no matter whether you're racing at the front of the pack or like me, often in the middle of the pack, I can go to a race weekend or I can go to a solo and I can say to myself, especially at a, on a track where I go to the same track, you know, more than once, you know, I know what time I did last time I was here. So whether I'm qualifying or or running in first or second or running in 15th, I know what my best effort has ever been. And even if I'm not racing up front, I can race against my best effort. And and there's joy in that, isn't there? Oh, yeah. You're chasing. the what, uh, Was it the stainless steel carrot? The um, oh, gosh, great book written by the wife. I, of, I think you're right. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the Donahue book, right? Uh, no, but it's from that era. Anyway, <laughs> I wish I could give her a little little plug here. Uh, but that idea of, of there, there's that stainless steel carrot hanging out in front of you, and you're you're constantly reaching to be better, to, to do it better, to go faster. And uh, I, that's part of what I enjoyed is having it measured. And uh, having, having a clear objective measure of, uh, of uh, how fast you've gone. Right. Uh, whereas on street driving, it's, did you survive? <laughs> Are you alive? Did you kill anybody else? All these kind of things. Uh, the, the SCCA organization is so good at the safety part of it. I, I've noticed that in autocross is way back when I was in the solo safety steward program when it started. And still today, if I go to an autocross, non-SECA autocross, I see some things that I'm just appalled by. I remember a finish line with a top of second gear sweeper aimed right at the timing trailer. Huh. And I thought, wow, these guys need a solo safety steward from the SECA. And so that, that, that's part of it. And what, what, I'm, what I come, keep coming back to lately is what I see in pro racing. And this is a good time for discussing that. Uh, the big ones, NASCAR, um, Formula One, just lately, mm -hmm. Max Verstappen versus uh, Lewis Hamilton. And pro racing... I'm going to tell you right now, audience, pro racing has a different purpose. It's a business. Pro racing is a business. 
They're trying to make money. They are not showing us how we should race. They actually make money from controversy that draws viewers. I, for one, and I'm going to hit Formula One real hard here because it's a great story this year. I don't pay attention to Formula One. I've never been very, I'm not, a, I'm not a spectator when it comes to racing. I want to do it, which is another reason why I'm in the Sports Car Club of America, because I'm not going to these events to watch. I'm going to these events to drive, to participate, because that's where I get my drug. It's really I'm telling you, it's a drug. I can feel it when those juices start flowing and it feels good. But in Formula One, I'm not watching. But then just, you know, in the headlines, I'm in the car world, I hear about this controversy. And whenever I hear about a crash, I want to find the video and go see what happened. It's so great that we have so many videos now of everything that happens. We can learn from that. And it's kind of a watchdog. And I think the videos actually make us a little more careful because we know what, what we just did might be on the video of the car behind us or the car ahead of us. And uh, it's like the uh, eye of God watching over you, you know, or that thing from the great Gatsby, the sign for the uh, eye doctor looking down at, at him and watching his life. And in, in Formula One, there was an incident between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. And so I look up the video, comes right up on YouTube. And it's, I can't remember the track. It was this summer, a few months ago. It's probably Silverstone, the uh, yeah. first lap. I think it was, may have been Silverstone, <clears throat> where they got next to each other. On the first lap, yep. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And of course, I've written, a, I've, Terry Irwin and I wrote the passing uh, guidelines that are in the GCR. And I'm incredibly proud of that. And I know some people don't agree with it. And I <laughs> always look forward to discussing that with whoever would like to, because uh, I don't think you can disagree with it. But anyway, it's my baby. So of course, I think that or our baby, because I got it from Terry Yearwood and Terry from Skip Barber Racing School from many, many years of working with racing. And um, anyway, in this incident, first lap, going straight into a corner, Hamilton gets next to Verstappen. I mean, they are side by side at about the turn-in point, right from the passing guidelines. Verstappen can see Hamilton, turns the wheel, and drives right at him. Right. And... That made me angry. And <laughs> Hamilton is trying to get out of the way of this maniac. You can tell who I, whose side I'm on right away. <laughs> I'm not hiding it. He's backing off trying to get out of the way. And about two-thirds of the way to the apex, Hamilton's front wheel hits Verstappen's rear wheel, and Verstappen spins off. Right. And there's all this discussion like, oh, Hamilton hit Verstappen. No. Max did not leave him racing room. Right. He saw him turned in anyway. And uh, that's rule number one. Don't hit what you can see. And the second part of it is um, later in the season, Max uh, breaks the other rule right. of the passing guidelines. 
where um let's see which one is is best this is brazil there's so many right <laughs> um, i remember the one where hamilton has just come out of the pits into a chicane and verstappen is behind him and outside and tries to pass him from the outside into the chicane and he is very much in the vortex of danger which is that area you can't see after you turn for a corner. The blind spot is back over your shoulder. Anybody trying to pass after the car ahead of them turns for the corner is putting themselves into a very dangerous right. situation. Right. And what's great about these passing guidelines is that they show a way to race, race hard, race fair, and not get people pissed off right <laughs> because when somebody hits you that you can't see that makes you very very angry right and i never saw that before in my career i i never saw some kind of definition right about what's right and what's wrong or what's a good idea and what's a bad idea and uh to help people race more fairly and now this, of course, is just road racing. But man, when you feel uh, like Janet Guthrie wrote in her book, when you're racing somebody hard, but you feel at the same time they're taking care of you, they leave you room, they stay out of your vortex, that, that there's just this feeling of like brothers in arms where you have a mutual understanding. And that's where the hugs come after the race. Right. You know, it's funny you say that. And and I I listen to that and I hear and I see young drivers come up who've watched Formula One, watched NASCAR, and they become, you know, early rookie drivers and not, not even young drivers, just first time racers in the SECA. And there's some of that aggression there that you're talking about that. And, and they're, they're just emulating what they see on television. And what I find interesting is I've always thought about people like you. Uh, people like Andy Lally, folks who came up through the SCCA and have a great amount of success in professional racing. And I, I'm fortunate enough, I, I've been in the paddock as a journalist talking to these drivers, but I've also talked to team owners. And I talked with, um, with one of the owners that Andy drove for once. And I said to him, I said, what's Andy's, why is Andy what, here? What is it? He's fast, but there's a lot of fast guys. Why is Andy here? And he says, Andy brings the car home every single race with four wheels and four fenders on it. And I don't have to worry about now. He may get run over by someone else, which is out of his control. But, um, you know, there's this 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 idea that, you know, racing cleanly is how you get to that top level. I guarantee you, if Max Verstappen drove like that in F4, F3, F2, he would have never gotten to F1 because no team owner is going to hire him for the next level if he's banging up cars all the time. So it's not like these guys don't know how to race clean and fast. They obviously had to to get where they are. So I completely understand that idea. Uh, and we could talk for hours on racing cleanly. So I, I think that's, uh, that's probably a, a, a good stepping off point to kind of move into our next level of this discussion. And I, I, I love this other part of, you know, redefining winning and this idea of the culture of the SCCA as a whole and something that I think we're, we've gotten to a point now where we we've discussed it a lot and we're getting to a better point, but this idea that 
Um, you know, it's in the NFL, they have this thing called Mr. Irrelevant. It's the last guy who gets drafted in the NFL draft. <laughs> and I always tell people, you know, and, and then I'm a golfer. So I always tell people, I would love to be last place at the Masters because that means I'm good enough to be at the Masters, you know, uh. and, and there's some joy. There's some there's some good things can happen when you're not racing for first place, you know, and. And a lot of times I hear, you know, road racers kind of put their nose down at the solo people. That's not real racing. Those are, you know, people who love solo, love cars. They're the exact same people as people who love road racing. And, and there's a place in the club for all these different levels of stuff, you know, all these different levels of, of car passion. And I think we need to do a better job of embracing that. Right, Hayward? Yeah, I think. So that's a great question. I actually want to step a little bit back to a question uh, a minute ago. And sure. Then, uh, you mentioned something about the joy of personal best. And I think that that is something that, you know, <clears throat> SCCA has about 120, 125,000 participations a year across all of our programs. Uh, 75, 80,000 uh, of those are in solo. So solo represents almost two thirds of our participation. Some years, maybe a little bit more. And I think that, uh, that idea of personal best is really hard to judge in solo because the course changes every week, uh, every event. And having been a really, really hardcore time solo competitor through the early 2000s and now being really deeply engaged in track night and time trials, we got a lot of track night people that show up uh, with a, some sort of a lap timer built into the car, some app, some whatever. <clears throat> and they're out there for fun, but when I go mountain biking, I turn on Strava and I'm recording my personal best. Sure. I'm trying to see measure against me. And I think in road racing, it's pretty easy to measure against you. You've got your person, you know, best lap time ever, that sort of thing. There's other objectives there. But one of the things we found in, in time trials is that the consistency of the track, the fact that you get to go back to the track over and over and over again, allows that sport to be deeply personal. You know, you can, you can finish last at the masters. You can be Mr. Irrelevant and set a personal best and feel really, really good at it. And I think right. one of the big challenges struggles with solo is the closest we've been able to find with that in, in the autocross world is uh, the packs scoring, the adjusted scoring for, you know, that adjusts for each class, which really comes down to a very few number of humans opinions about how fast a class should go. Um, and so you have kind of this, this culture that's built around opinion. And I think that, you know, autocross is one of the hardest places in the club right now, in my mind, to just go have fun. I think a lot of people do it, um, but because you don't have that personal best, that stainless steel carrot that, uh, that uh, Randy referenced. By the way, I didn't realize that Randy was such a reader. If I had known that, I would have uh, boned up on some of my automotive literature. <laughs> um, uh, I referenced the Donahue book that, of course, The Unfair Advantage, mm -hmm. Stainless Steel Carrot, uh, I think was a... Uh, I don't even remember. I just know it was on my parents' shelf, and now I know I need to read it. Um, but uh, um, so I think that that personal challenge is really what we're talking about here. And to tie back to the the second question, I have found in my SCCA life, which as you mentioned goes back to birth, um, the the people who have the most fun in this space are ones that accept a broad range of personal challenges. They want they they want they're going after a personal best at a time trials event, or they are 
uh, going after a class record or something in a hill climb, or you know, they they are more focused on kind of that broad um, broad offering. And I think there's some really great characters in recent years that that demonstrate this. I think Darren Seltzer is a great example who won a couple of solo national championships and then went and won the runoffs at Indy. Um, Darren's the kind of guy that isn't looking, you know, he, Darren is the kind of guy, not the kind of guy, he is the guy who he and his wife sold everything, got on a sailboat and sailed around the world for two years because they wanted to do something new and different. And I think that a lot of times what makes this club really challenging for people to really have fun in is the resistance to doing something new and different. You've built a car, you've gone down a rabbit hole, and that car is either going to achieve its mission or not. And if it does, then you're going to try to do it again. And if it doesn't, you're going to keep doing it until you try. And so you kind of end up in this like, there's only one, there's only two possible outcomes, success or failure, because you've become so invested in that one singular outcome. And I look at a guy like Darren, uh, who accepts a challenge, accepts the next challenge, accepts the next challenge, and keeps it fresh and keeps it fun. And, and maybe even a better example is Fred White, who a lot of autocrossers only know Fred White as Jinx Jordan's tire warmer, who maybe is going to sniff the back of the trophies um, here and there, uh, but also has always dreamed of the runoffs, has always dreamed of, of going to a major racetrack. And I don't know that anybody enjoyed the 2017 runoffs more than Fred White. Um, and we did something really radical. We put him on the cover of sports car, finishing 10th in uh, H production um, to kind of show that story of, we had 900 drivers here and 24 of them took home championships and uh, several hundred of them had amazing experiences, amazing opportunities, amazing weeks. Um, and we need to be telling all of those stories. We need to tell the Andrew Aklanti story. We need to tell the Fred White story. And we need our members to lean into the idea that you can experience this club by whatever terms and conditions you choose. Every year there are, five, maybe 10 drivers in the myriad of 700 SCCA classes between the runoffs and solo and all of that. But every year in every class, there's maybe, let's say, 10 drivers who you could say, these are people who are going to win the championship in this class. And when you go to a local event, there are maybe five or 10 drivers who you could say, these are the drivers who are going to win that class. So let's just say that's the 1% of the SCCA. For, there's 98% of the SCCA, let's say, over the last 75 years plus that have had the chance to win, that really never had a chance to win the big thing. And they all love it, even though they know, maybe in their heart, they're like, I can do it, but on any given day, on any given Sunday. But, but we're a club built on people knowing <laughs> they're not going to be championship level drivers yet we've existed for so long. And, and, and that's something I think we need to keep, keep our eye on. Right, Randy. Well, I hate body work. <laughs> <laughs> I can put in a transmission. I can put in an alternator. I hate body work. I've got to take it somewhere and it's very, very expensive and uh, this refers, of course, to road racing, uh, which I've done so much of. And I think that what, what is good about redefining winning is raising our levels of respect 
R-E-S-P-E-C-T, and um, concern for the other guy, too. And the uh, situation is to, um, to think about uh, competition in terms of winning for yourself without doing damage to others. I, I guess I'm talking about the golden rule here, aren't I? And this is a club. It's a sport. And it's very important that we not get distracted by what we see at the pro level when the crashing actually improves their views and is good for business. And this is uh, very harmful to our racing. We, um, I encourage, and I've always driven with a no contact rule, no contact. And so I'm second and I'm on a win, but I don't want to win so bad that I'm going to take a chance of hitting the car ahead of me uh, and, and winning that way. And there are some races you can't win, right. especially think- in a sport, in the Sports Car Club of America. You don't come down the inside with four wheels locked. And these kind of maneuvers in uh, road racing, again, are the things that are collision course passes, um, passes that force the person ahead of you to get out of the way. And if they don't move, then there's a crash. That's, that's bully driving. And it's one of the great things actually about solo and about hill climbs is that you don't have that threat. Your competition is in your hands. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to try uh, to get Randy to take a breath for a second. Cause I actually, I kind of disagree with Randy a little bit here. Because you just said a lot of phrases and words that I think are really important across all of our club. And this may be the core of what this conversation can be and should be. Like you said, golden rule, you said bullying, intimidation, like all of those things exist in all of our programs. Uh, it can be the threat of a protest. It can be the, the uh, can, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but it could be spending an entire autocross season convincing the rest of your class that you're axles have to have these silly little rubber donuts on them. And if you don't go find those axles, you're going to get protested and thrown out at nationals. Um, there's all of these cultural things in our organization that, that align perfectly with another phrase you just said, which is win at all cost." And sometimes all cost is ruining the fun. Sometimes right. all cost is ruining the, I mean, I'm going to say ruining the fun, I'm going to say ruining the experience. And, and I think that whether or not you're at the end of a road race doing body work, or if you're throughout a solo season hunting a, a phantom part, or if you are, uh, you know, it, it's the intimidation. And, and a lot of times it's just as simple as your very first autocross or your first autocross season, getting the message that the car that you love, the car that, you know, a lot of people come into this organization because they've built a car already. They love that car. And they get the message throughout that first couple of experiences that this car doesn't really fit here. This isn't, it's not the right year. It's not the right uh, trim package. You need to you know, sell it and do something else. All of those things to me drive that winning at all cost um, message and bullying and intimidation. It doesn't have to be sheet metal, sheet metal. It can be ego. It can be pride. It can be comfort. It can be all of those things. And, and that's, you know, that to me is when we're talking about redefining winning, what I'm thinking about is that having room for your win to be, I had a great time. 
And, and that's maybe where we're not always great at all of this. Right, right. You know, I think about this several times and, and we kind of go back to road racing a lot here because there's obvious there's there's like skin in the game. There's body work in the game, you know, but I've, I can't tell you the number of times over the last three decades where I've been at the track and I've seen an incident happen. And and the person who was the 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 receiving end of the incident has just never comes back. And maybe it's a I don't want to deal with this anymore. But for a lot of people, they put every ounce of their what they have into to go racing. And when their cars goes home in a ball, they just don't have the money to build another one. You know, and I always like yeah. to think about that when I'm out there is is we're a club. This is not a, a, a pro racing where the owner's got deep pockets. or you've got a big sponsor. You know, I'm my sponsor. <laughs> my other my better three quarters is my sponsor. And if there's no money left, she won't let me go put money into a car. So, and that's the case for a lot of people. So you also, I think about that when I'm on the track with people and, and if I hit this person, you know, maybe I could afford a new fender, but maybe they can't. Yeah. Brian, if I can just build on that for a second, I, I saw a thread in social media a couple of months ago about somebody had crashed their car at a track night event and they didn't have the on-track insurance. Mm-hmm. And they were asking, I thought very honestly and vulnerably, what they should do now. Like, do I, uh, <clears throat> do I try to fix the car? Do I sell it as salvage? Like, what do I do now? And it very quickly um, devolved into this conversation about um, basically, uh, you know, who belongs on a racetrack. And one of the things that was said in this is if you don't have the money to write it off, you shouldn't be on a racetrack. You don't belong there. And I thought that that was just this incredibly toxic and damaging message for any of our, our, our members to put out. And I get it from a road racing perspective. I get it from a somebody else's mistake can potentially cost you your, your toy, your tool, whatever. And, and you need to be wise about whether or not you can afford to get road racing. But when we're talking about time trials or track events where you've got, number one, the ability to buy on-track insurance, so you can go spend a couple of hundred bucks and be able to protect your car and protect your investment, uh, you certainly don't have to be in a position to write it off. Um, but to me, you know, the idea of you know, writing it off is so deeply tied to your attitude on track. If your mm -hmm. attitude on track is at all cost, uh, whether it's a time trial, a track night event, a road race, whatever the case may be, if your attitude is... I care more about the result than I do about this car. Um, let's, let's pause right there for reflection, first of all. Um, but you know, if that's your attitude, then yeah, you need to be in a position to write that car off, whether, regardless of what car it is, of event discipline, et cetera. But that assumes that the result is the only thing that matters, that you can't do it for the joy of driving, for the joy of competing, for the joy of, of personal best, any of those things. And so I think, you know, that's another one of those phrases, another one of those ideas. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, you're absolutely right. People do have incidents and don't come back. People get protested and don't come back. People get intimidated and don't come back. All, all of those things can happen. Um, but you know, that idea that we, um, that idea that to be on a racetrack, you have to be risking it all. You have to be okay with risking it all. You have to prepare to risk it all. Man, that is, that's a, that is a very different idea than what we talk about in a track night driver's meeting. Um, and, and they're yeah, I get that 
one of those has existed for a long time, I think we need room for both. Well, remember, Hayward, that the line between in control and out of control is a very fine line indeed. And for less experienced drivers, finer yet. Uh, yeah. People get in trouble and they don't even think that they're, they're, they're not pushing that hard, but they make a mistake uh, that uh, a pro guy would never do. And suddenly they're spinning and there's a wall there. Well, I think that goes to your point about we watch pro racing and we watch Formula One and we think that the essence of motorsport is that you are on the very, very limit. Right. Because uh -huh. we have only really communicated to the world about motorsport in the concept of racing. If you look at a sport like skiing and snowboarding and snow sports, there is no perception that to ski, you must be on the very limit. You're absolutely welcome and encouraged to put on a pair of boots, put on a pair of skis and go at your pace. In fact, they'll sell you an infinite number of fireball shots at the top of the hill to make sure that you're comfortable with that face, <laughs> that, that pace. <clears throat> you know, the, the motorsports world, we don't culturally see a difference between racing and recreational motorsport. Um, going to that canyon run example from before, because we're talking about performance the assumption is that we're going to go as fast as we possibly can uh legal or illegal the assumption is anytime we put a car on a racetrack we're going to go as fast as we possibly can comfortable or not comfortable and i think a lot of this is is getting okay with the idea that we can just have comfortable enjoyment recreation that that you know you win a day on the slopes by ending up in the bar with your buddies and everybody's knees and ankles are pointing the same direction. That's, that's how you win snow sports, right? Right. The culture around motorsports is the only way to win it is to leave with the big trophy. And I think uh, this converse, conversation, this concept of redefining winning to have more ways, not, we're not taking away the trophies. We're not saying that championships don't matter. I mean, by God, I still helmet on every September and go, solo nationals and uh, i don't cry all the way home anymore but um you know it's it's win or be upset for sure um but there's got to be other ways to play I, I think also intent has a lot to do with it you know and and there's a difference between i, I love going near the edge of my abilities i love testing that that really thin line but my intent will never be to hurt someone's chances by hitting them or whatever if you have the intent that i don't care whether i hit someone to get past them that's one thing if you're legitimately at the edge of your skill level trying to test what you've got and you make a mistake that's that's very different and i think being you know racing at that at the edge of that should be encouraged but it's when the intent changes to I don't care about whether I hit someone to get past them. That's where I think the line changes a little bit. And uh, and, and and I think that I would feel really ugly about winning a race because I chose to run someone over to get there. You know, if I chose to race someone hard and tried to race clean and I just had a little issue, that happens. That, that is kind of part of racing. It's, it's where that intent crosses over. And I think it's really easy to measure intent. I know they say, well, I, I can't tell what a guy. Yeah, I could tell what a guy or a gal was thinking if they ran me over. You know, yeah, I think, Brian, having um, had the pleasure, honor of being the pit lane reporter for the runoffs for the last couple of years, I've been able to witness both. Right. And, and the difference is 
and how that conversation happens on pit lane afterwards. You know, I've seen a number of times cars get together during the runoffs and both cars end up on the podium or near the podium and the guys get out and they're tripping over each other to apologize. They, they, they were so engrossed in the battle, so dialed into it. They're not even sure whose fault it was. They just know they got together because they were both at that limit, at that focus point. And that's not what we're talking about here right. as, as negative culture. That, uh, you know, a lot of times the guy that got hit is the first to apologize because he was so focused on what was going on that how that went down, it was less clear. Um, I've also seen the guy that did the hitting just get out of the car and walk away. No yeah. handshake, no apology, no check-in, no are you okay? Just get out of the car and walk away. And I think that culturally, one of the things I think is the strongest about a road racing culture is the expectation that when you get together with somebody, you're going to go find them, you're going to go talk to them about it and how easy those conversations are traditionally to have. You know, a lot of times, you know, the, the aggressor goes to talk to the quote unquote victim and the victim is so accommodating of that conversation because they appreciate the humanity of that moment so much. Like I, I, we don't have, uh, you know, fist fights break out in the paddock because of these conversations. What we have is long-term negative feelings held when they don't happen. Right. You know, when, when that, when that aggressor doesn't go find the victim, that victim goes, well, now I know that guy's character. And, right. and that's way more damaging than the conversations have ever been. All right, it's a good place for a break. When we come back, more with Hayward Wagner and Randy Popes. I'm Brian Belansky. I'm Abby Shear, and this is Inside the SCCA. When I need numbers for my autocross time trial or road race car, I go to autocrossdigits.com. Christian and his crew offer top quality magnetic and vinyl numbers. Their website is easy to navigate. The prices are great and most orders ship in four business days. If you need numbers for your car, check out autocrossdigits.com. Tell them the podcast guy sent you. Randy, so I hear you're doing some interesting things these days and that have nothing to do with coming in first. I understand you show up at track nights now. So with someone with your skill, someone with your background, with someone who loves that adrenaline, as you said, that drug, what what, what kind of, of experience do you have? What's your motivation for going to a track night? Well, one, I love the cars and I wanna share the experience you know, it's these. This is my tribe, and I have uh, a little bit of fame, and I get recognized sometimes in uh, airports or certainly auto parts stores. And I think some people might be irritated by that, but I'm not because I have an instant friend. It's amazing how warm the relationship is at first meeting because they already know me through the columns and I already know them because they like the same stuff I like. And so I, I, I want I enjoy being among people who think and like, uh, like I do. And also I'm always looking for something to get in and drive. <laughs> and I, but I enjoy the cars and something I've learned anytime somebody says hi and they read the column and, they've seen the YouTube videos is I ask them what they drive. Oh man, thanks for watching. What do you drive? And they always got an answer. It's great. Oh, well, I got a 240Z that I got from my dad back when, and we're putting a V8 in it. And 
I love hearing those stories. And um, I mean, I'm a people person. And if, if you're not a people person, you're a car person or you wouldn't be there. And you can be there for the cars. And guess what? You're gonna find people just like you that don't really wanna socialize. But if you're hanging there and you say, Oh, what do you what what did you do with that control arm? Uh, I, oh well, you know we got to change the roll center back here, and uh, so we relocated the shock absorber, and all of a sudden, boom, you got a friend. Yeah, and I love that part of it. Uh, so uh, I I really uh, can't get enough of it. Uh, yeah. I enjoy it. So so that's why I go, and I enjoy sharing with people about how to drive and and this mission of improving driving and reducing crashing. Uh, <laughs> would, would you, Randy, suggest to other people who do one of the things in our club, if you're a solo person or if you're a rally person, if you're a road racer, to go do something else that the club does for a weekend? Always. You'd be, you'd be amazed. And I went to a rally cross recently. Holy cow. Dirt is a whole new world. And I joke with people that I've, I've been in the wrong sport my whole life. I should have been on dirt. Right. <laughs> uh, because it's fantastic. And then the people that I met there were really, really cool. Rallycross, what they emphasized to me was it's hard on the car, especially where I went. I went in Tennessee, uh, in the, I think the East Tennessee region. And they ran run in a, an amazing site on a kind of like a farm field on the side of a couple of hills. And so every rally cross is really, really different. Yeah. Some are in very smooth parking lots. This is not the case here. And they say, hey, right up front, it's hard on the car. It's really hard on the car at this site. Yeah. Because it was. There was a little bit of Baja stirred into this rally cross, uh, but I had a beat up old car that was perfect for it, old BMW. And I discovered a whole new world that I never imagined. But in the back of my mind, I'd seen those rally films on, on TV and YouTube. And I thought, hmm, I think I'd like to try that. And it was fantastic. It was a whole new world. They're all out there in a different part of the SCCA. I, I recent- Go ahead. I just, just to kind of echo what Randy said, you know, I've, um, I was, as I mentioned before, autocross was my, my drug, uh, for a long time. And I got a chance, uh, I went to a hill climb to work it and a buddy of mine there had a CRX and, uh, Dean fur had an extra driver's suit and there was an extra helmet and I got to jump in and, and run it. And I've always loved hill climb, but that was like my most fun weekend of that decade. Um, because the pressure was off. I wasn't trying to do, wasn't trying to win in my hill climb, my autocross class. I was just happy to do a hill climb. And, and we've seen that a lot with time trials in particular. Uh, Denny Stripling, who's a deep competitor in the uh, Spec Racer Ford world, came to one of our events in his streetcar. He had a, a BMW, I think an M3, M2, M, some single digit number. Um, and watching him kind of go after personal best and, and, challenge himself in a new motorsports way. And I think that we all, you know, to use an example here, <clears throat> watching Randy come back to solo nationals and drive Jeff Zimmer's rabbit um, and see this guy who, how long have you been away from autocross, Randy ballpark? 
uh, Nationals 35 years. And, and come back and reconnect with that. And I think, you know, one, there's a value to sharpening your saw. There's a value to, I'm going to go try some autocross and, oh, wow, I lift throttle oversteer. I remember that. I haven't been using that on a racetrack. I need to get back to that. Or, um, you know, I think for autocrossers going to a track night or a time trial and getting comfortable with high speed actually makes autocross easier to process because you've gotten used to things that happen slower because the course is more open, but faster because the car is moving faster. And so there's an value to learning these skills and learning these competencies, um, you know, to rally to Randy's point about rally cross. If you'd run a couple of rally crosses and you get more comfortable with slip angle and you go to an autocross and now you're able to slide the car just a little bit more on that corner entry that makes it set up a little bit better because you learn that on dirt where it's easier to do. Like all of these skills are transferable, but there's also that joy of going to an event where you're breaking your mold. You're not looking for, I got to win STS. I got to win ASP. I got to win my, uh, you know, GT2, whatever it is to, you know what, I'm just going to grab some buddies. I'm going to grab my significant other, my parent, my whatever, and let's go run an autocross and, and run for giggles. And I think, you know, kind of the point of all that is I think it's really hard to run for giggles in the thing that you're deeply passionate about, Man, but Hammer, doing something. You said a mouthful. <laughs> you said a mouthful when you said about your event, the pressure was off. Yeah. That, it's a whole new experience. People can get so focused on, on the winning that is it fun anymore especially if something goes wrong and to go to an event where that doesn't matter anymore you're really it's a very different experience isn't it and i've it, had that and it can reconnect day. you with that primary program in a different way you know you you might go you might be a hardcore road racer and you get your grab a family member go to an autocross have a blast and remember something that made you love road racing in the first place and go back with a yes. different perspective it's interesting at the solo nationals, I don't know if this happens anymore, but in the old days, including me, I'd seen people go up there and do very well or win in a car they've never driven before. No practice that, you know, they just get in there. And I, I realized that when you go there for the fun of it, these people get in a car at the last minute and then drive it for the fun of it. I think I remember TC Klein doing that way back when there's a list. It may still happen, um, but they go there and, and they're doing it for the fun of it. So they're relaxed and they just have fun. I'm like, hey, I don't care. This is a cool car. Let's go see what happens. Oh, gee, I ran the best time. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, and, nowadays uh, it happens because your name is Tom O'Gorman. So it's not exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> right. All right, but guys. At, um, fun runs are that way. Right. After an autocross, it, I don't know if even that happens anymore. I hope it does where you go out for a fun run you're not trying to win your class anymore and in a lot of ways those experiences are better even than a competition because the pressure is off when you're going there just for fun you can actually find a higher level of enjoyment we are out of time believe it or not what i know we Isn't just started crazy? I, it feels like we just started we'll have to do this again sometime Maybe on the inside the SCCA podcast when we have more time and I, I know a guy less I can get that hooked up exactly <laughs> we we might be able to do that. Um, can each of you give us a fifteen second final thought? I'll start. And and what I want 
um, uh, can I, nah, 15 seconds. Can I talk about, yeah, okay. Time's up. Time's up. <laughs> How'd I do? Perfect. <laughs> I think uh, I'll, I'll let Randy uh, formulate. I think for me, it's, it's just really simple. If you're not loving what you're doing, find a different way to do it. Um, you know, if you are in a program and you're up against a wall emotionally, you, you've pushed yourself as far as you can go. Uh, try a different class, try a different car. If your driving skill feels like it's, it's starting to stagnate, try a different program, try a different thing. And if you, you know, just find the way, find the way to define winning for yourself, whether that's a lap time, whether that's a experience, whether that's uh, shiny, shiny, clean metal uh, body work, um, whatever it is. Uh, but don't feel like the only way to measure yourself is by the trophy cabinet. Okay, and I'm going to define redefining winning by living and racing with respect for your competitors. And I think that that creates an environment of, of mutual respect where everyone is having more fun and is having a better experience that's less warlike and more entertainment this is a sport and remember respect when you're competing and include that for yourself i would just say in the idea of being the person to finish last at the masters if you finish last at the runoffs if you finish last in your club race if you finish last in your autocross you were still out there driving a car and having a blast doing it so there's joy in just getting out there and getting it done uh, Hayward Wagner, Randy Popes, thanks. I appreciate you joining me today on Redefining Winning. Uh, if you enjoyed this, there's a ton of other sessions in the SECA Connect 2022 Virtual Connect uh, Convention. Check those all out, and, uh, and, and there'll be a whole lot more to do. So thanks a lot. I'm Brian Belansky, and that's been SECA Connect 2022 Redefining Winning. Hi, I'm Dorsey Schrader, and this is Inside the SECA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.